Hello and welcome to Money Life. This is Sucheta Tilak. This week we're going to discuss something different, talking about political power play and how it impacts politics in India and intimidation, accountability, and where we stand as voters. So the big question that all of you, especially if you are in Maharashtra, would be asking this week is, what next? Where is all this headed? Almost the entire Nationalist Congress Party joined the government in Maharashtra, which is currently ruled by the Bharatiya Janata Party and one breakaway faction of the Shiv Sena. Now, is the BJP-led government a giant washing machine that's going to cleanse politicians under the scanner of our central investigation agencies of all charges of corruption, money laundering, and worse? Well, it seems like it because things just come to an end when people join the ruling party. In fact, it happened earlier. Almost at the entire set of Shiv Sena legislators broke away from the Uddhav Thakri government and joined with the BJP under the leadership of Eknath Chinde. Suddenly, people were sleeping better and nothing is happening any further on charges of corruption leveled against them constantly by the BJP. Were the investigations dropped or have they been buried? Are they put on the back burner? Is that what's going to happen again with the NCP? We need to wait and watch. All this seems really brazen to most of us, but those of us who've been seeing things for 35 years or political observers who've been around much longer will tell you that this strategy of keeping political rivals, financiers, I mean, industrialists and corporate houses, and even the media in check, you hear a lot about media being silenced. All this has been going on for at least five to six decades. The threat is invariably crippling action by central agencies. And it works more effectively when there is a powerful single party government at the center. It is a little less when there are ragtag coalitions. India has been through several phases of, phases of those also. So what happens? When people toe the line, investigations are delayed, charges diluted, cases drag on for decades, documents go missing, important witnesses die. So much so that the track record of central agencies in proving their charges in court is abysmal. None of this, absolutely nothing cannot, can happen without enormous political meddling and political direction. Now, the environment for this is set by harsh foreign exchange laws, extortionate tax policies. In fact, there was a time when total income tax was over 80%. Red tape around industrial licensing, appointments, salaries to be paid, even fundraising, which the price at which you could raise funds was decided by the government. This created a license and inspector arch, which we lived with until the economic liberalization of 92, when it was slowly unraveled. This creates a ground for corrupt officials to be so empowered with draconian powers that they can harass anybody at will. In fact, reached a stage where we know of a case where a single inspector filing a false charge could shut down a pharmaceutical business. In fact, they can shut down a business long before the legal system will even admit a case filed against it. So managing the political environment and government agencies 
has become in India key competency for doing business. Now, this corollary to this is that those who know how to use the system will exploit it ruthlessly and the rise in corruption is endless and constant. So in the 1970s and 80s, industrialists who are perceived as inimical to the government, they would be called in for meetings. There would be a stack of files on the table, very prominently displayed, which were all the investigations that had been filed. The law, in fact, all the laws were so draconian that it was almost impossible for anyone to do business without something at which they could be caught. Of course, they were doing a lot worse, but the kind of taxation, everybody had cases open against them if they mattered. And these files would be kept on the table and they were sent a signal that you do not listen to what we say. It could be anything, you know, including political funding, then there would be consequences. In fact, in 1988, very powerful government of the day even tried to tell India's largest English newspaper who should be their editor or rather who should not be the editor because they didn't like the person that this paper was going to appoint as the editor. The paper did not listen, and we don't know whether the subsequent hounding of the chairman with one case went on and on for years until he finally died was the price that this newspaper paid for ignoring a not very subtle situation. Like I said, those who have mastered the art of using this dubious system are bound to exploit it. So in what way does the exploitation happen? Obviously, using their political connections to get bank loans, public sector banks, have been milked by industrialists for decades. They have generated enormous personal wealth by diverting loans granted for projects. This has happened by the inflating project costs or just taking away money into private companies. Part of it goes to their political cronies and the phone calls that dictate the loans, evergreening of loans, Fresh loans when you have defaulted, all that happens because of political connection, obviously with the price attached to it. The enormity of this loot is captured in one single number. Bad loans written off by public sector banks in the six years preceding 2021-22 were as much as 11.17 lakh crore. This is just six years. The government has been in power for longer than that from 2014 and had pledged to wipe out corruption. But this is the extent of dirt just being written off as bad loans. A bulk of it is corporate defaults. Write-offs were lower in earlier years, but possibly because banks colluded with defaulters to hide the holes in their books. Now, the laws, draconian laws, are not limited to financial issues. There were laws against narcotics, smuggling. Remember, India was a closed economy. So contraband included getting your oil of ule and soaps and cheese and, of course, gold in a big way. Then there was internal security laws, which were used against social activists and political opponents. And all this built up to a crescendo with the declaration of the emergency in June 1975. Even caste and communal riots were nothing new. They were frequently triggered with cynical precision to divide people, win votes, vacate land whenever it was necessary. All this has been vividly documented in so many movies of the 1970s and 80s. Is there a difference today? Yes, twofold. Earlier, even the worst corrupt and self-serving politicians had to maintain a pretense 
that they were acting in public interest. I mean, you remember their khadi kurta, pajamas, the topi. There was no ostentatious display of wealth, whether it was in them. The vehicles that they used, the gold chains they flaunted, their watches, they pretended to at least wear khadi and act as though they were public servants. Consequently, their wealth and power was kept reasonably hidden in India or transferred overseas. In fact, they lived it up when they went abroad. The industrialists did the same thing. They used to say, take an Air India plane out to London and then a private jet after that. This is no longer true. Instead of bribes, handouts, and election funding from industry and business, politicians today want to be businessmen. They want a direct share in the business. This has increased since liberalization. Their chosen lines of favored lines of business are real estate, infrastructure, construction, education, and of course, the cooperative sector, which is not scrutinized so much, is under political control and there to be exploited. Public display of power and wealth is the norm. Very fancy SUVs and gun-toting security is a must for any politician to show that he's arrived. The involvement of politicians across party lines was openly visible in corporate defaults. So they are so thick with corporate houses and the defaults have been huge, almost one lakh crore, several of them, DHFL, uh, HDIL, which took down PMC Bank, infrastructure leasing, Yes Bank, then the large number of real estate companies which left home borrowers in a lurch, you have Sahara, that list is endless. Most of these came out in the open in 2018. With, now, which politician has a track record of having built any of these businesses from scratch that they're suddenly partners in huge malls when there is redevelopment happening and mills are being redone, but they were there. So it is very easy for investigation agencies to establish a money trail to this questionable political wealth. So filing cases, going after them by ED and enforcement or whatever is not difficult. Politicians have come to believe that the voting public does not matter. It is immaterial to their power game. People can be manipulated to vote based on an ideology, a belief, a leader, or simply the promise of freebies. This is happening in election after election. The general election of 2024 and the Maharashtra election shortly thereafter will actually finally establish whether this assessment is correct or people are actually upset and they're going to use their vote sensibly. Until then, the ruling party is going to continue with its political washing machine whenever required. In fact, the Congress party has dubbed this action by the Central Investigation Agencies as ICE. I for income tax, C for Central Bureau of Investigation, and E for the Enforcement Directorate. So, these are the ICE is the weapon that the government uses to destabilize opposition. They say very catchy, but this charge is not even seriously denied by the ruling party. In fact, it's merely countered with straw man arguments. In fact, the Indian Express has done a study of sorts. It writes that in the past eight years, 95% of politicians investigated by the CBI have been opposition leaders. It also says that 124 prominent politicians have come under the CBI lens since 2014, of which 118 were from the opposition, while cases against select politicians were put on the back burner. You're with us, cases vanish for a while. For a while, they don't entirely go away. 
As against this, under the UPA, the United Progressive Alliance, only 60% of politicians were investigated from the were from the opposition, and the number of investigations were also significantly less. Was the UPA, especially UPA, too much cleaner? No such thing. The numbers are different, significantly less during the UPA time. But it also shows that political corruption and misuse of central investigation agencies has remained a constant since the 70s. So whether it's a Congress using ICE or the BJP using ICE, they all want to use the agencies. In fact, in response to a question in Parliament, it's learned that the ED had registered nearly 888 cases but obtained only 23 convictions since 2014. What does this tell you? That the intent obviously is never to get a conviction. In fact, in a case involving the Shiv Sena leader Sanjay Rao, the Sessions Court hearing his bail application pulled up the ED for the slow pace of investigation after his quick or hasty arrest. The judge, in fact, accused the agency of not having begun and concluded a single trial. ED just brushed aside this criticism and it has continued to power on with its arrest searches. There is a tweet every day about their actions. In fact, a report in the news agency IANS says cases registered by the ED rose 505% between 2018-19. At that time, 195 cases were registered in 2018 as compared to 1,180 registered in 2021-22. The number of searches also rose exponentially, believe it or not, by 2,555% between the period 2004-14, one slot, and 2014-22. So the same previous UPA government versus NDA government. While the conviction rate remains pathetically low, a legal amendment in 2019, in fact, has weaponized and turbocharged the ED's actions. They allow it to start search and seizure and arrest without even waiting for a FIR to be filed. And it has empowered the agency to investigate money laundry going back decades with retrospective effect, as far back as it wants to go. It says you're laundering money, you are made to defend and prove them wrong. In fact, in March this year, Things reached a stage where 14 political parties moved the Supreme Court against what they called the government's arbitrary use of central agencies to crush opposition leaders. They pointed out that political figures who have crossed over to the government side have mysteriously been given clean chits or investigations against them proceed very slowly. All very true. Everybody who reads the papers knows this. The misuse of political power is, in fact, a matter of concern. But given the naked display of massive wealth by politicians, including, of course, many from the ruling party, their known links to large corporate house, corporate defaulters, a genuine time-bound investigation and trial would have established at least some of the charges against them. So it's not all innocent. The Apex Court correctly didn't want to handle this, rejected the petition saying that it could not lay down guidelines in the abstract without factual context of individual cases correctly because many of those who were part of those 14 had serious corruption cases against them. Indeed, this kind of track record may have you know, been used to pretend that 
there was nothing wrong. Now, let's look at Maharashtra. This is where actions have, over the past years, have been egregious. It's a case study of washing machine politics. As many as 14 leaders of the Maharashtra Vikas Agadi government, comprising the Sena, NCP, and Congress under Chief Minister Uddhav Thakre, were under investigation by the three agencies until the government was just unceremoniously toppled by engineering a split. After acquiring part and splitting the Shiv Sena, the BJP decided to fortify its electrical chances even more. So now it wanted the NCP with them. So it engineered a similar split in the NCC, NCP and many tainted leaders who were charged with enormous corruption were suddenly inducted as ministers. So you have Ajit Pawar, the nephew of party chief Sharad Pawar, Praful Patel, his close confidant, Chagan Bujbal, Hassan Mushrif, all of them face serious charges of corruption, money laundering, and worse. In fact, even those who were denied bail for a long time because of their ability to influence investigations are now ministers. In fact, the Ajit Pawar case, scandalous example of how this washing machine deals with corruption stains, corruption ke dag. In fact, in 2020, the Economic Offenses Wing, as soon as he had joined government as a deputy chief minister for two days, filed a closure report saying there was no evidence of Ajit Pawar's involvement in the loss-making Maharashtra State Cooperative Bank. Huge loans were written off over there. In 2022, it did an about turn and wanted the probe to continue. Mr. Power is now Deputy Chief Minister, and it is speculated that he may become the Finance Minister. So, look at how the political laundry works. Similar tactics for arresting ministers after making serious corruption charges have been used in other op opposition states as well. Karnataka, which was also a victim, has sent strong signals, however, that the electorate is refusing to be cancelled out of political power play. Of course, the explanation there is the government promised freebies. It's not as simple as any voter knows. Developments in Maharashtra suggest the BJP is not worried so long as it can keep disrupting the fragile unity of opposition parties. So Sharad Pawar is considered a thinker, would have been a leader with a massive amount of clout in a united opposition. He's just been dealt such a sharp blow that his party virtually does not exist and is struggling for survival. So one tall opposition leader cut down to size and his party people brought into government. The ramifications of that will play out over the next few days. Will it succeed? Will all this succeed? Or are people going to get angry and want change? Or will they again vote according to caste and religion, or will they, as they have done in the past, assert their views and their rights through the ballot? We don't know. We don't know if people will hold the political class accountable. Only time will tell. Let's see what happens in 2024. Let's hope that people use their minds and decide what's good for them. If you agree, do spread this message. Thank you.